This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I heard an amazing story that I want to share with you because that's going to be my pivot to our discussion tonight. I have a dear friend, Jackie Rami, in the Syrian community, who publishes a newsletter where they're like Devar Torah every Shabbat. And he said, I have to share a story with you that I saw last night that I think needs to be shared because I'm going to piggyback into something that happened to me 10 days ago in Miami. Many of you are familiar with Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein. So this is an amazing story that happened to him. He, he taught 8th grade in a yeshiva called Yeshiva of Crown Heights. I have many students who had him as a rabbi. You know, he's a very popular figure in the world of Chinuch and helping Klal Yisrael. In his yeshiva, though this was not his student, was a boy named Howie, who was a little bit of a troublemaker, and Howie got expelled from the yeshiva when Rabbi Wallerstein was the 8th grade Rebbe there. It happened to be that Howie's brother was in Rabbi Wallerstein's class. Now, telescope the story years later, and Rabbi Wallerstein is at the wedding of Howie's brother. After the ceremony, Rabbi Wallerstein is seated next to Howie. There's Howie sitting at the wedding with his non-Jewish girlfriend. And Howie's up the kazoo with tattoos. So, Rabbi Wallstein, he engaged in a discussion, and he tells him how he went to that school, and how he, were, he was thrown out. The Hassan and Kala come out, and the Hassan and Kala come out, and Rabbi Wallstein says, Howie, come, let's have the first dance. Come dance with me with the Hassan for the first dance. And they go out and they dance the first dance, and he tells them, while they're dancing, you know, it's a shame that they had to throw you out of the school. And oftentimes I see this, it's terrible. That when they throw someone out of school, it's not a good thing. I just want to pivot to something else. I had a Hasidic woman come and see me a year ago. A summer Hasidic woman come to see me a year ago. Because she had seven kids home in 20s and 30s. Now if any of you know anything about Hasidim, they're usually spoken for by 19 or 20. Married and good to go. This is very unusual. So she tells me that I'm having a difficult time marrying all my children off. It happened to be that her first son was divorced, and he wasn't giving permission to any of his brothers or sisters to be able to go around him. You know, you have to ask permission in the Hasidic world. And I said, it's not fair. I think you need to do the right thing and to just go around him. So she listened to me, and thank God, in the last year, Two got engaged and two got married. So she says to me, I want to thank you, Dr. Jack, because you gave me the gumption to go forward and do what I had to do. Now you're going to get your best case. I said, what's going on? She says, I'm going to send you my other son. If you can help him, great. I met with him two weeks ago. And I was shocked at what he told me. Same story. He got thrown out of school at 8th grade. And then they started a new school for children that were, you know, from the Orthodox community, but a little colorful. And this school was great because they knew how to handle these guys. But they had, they had problems in funding, and they closed the school. No one would take these kids. Not one, no school. So they basically rummaged around the street for two or three years. He got his act together and worked for a real estate firm. And he moved from the very bottom to the top. Meaning that he was a hard worker, and he has put up 80, 100 million dollar projects. But you know what he does today? He eats pork. Doesn't keep Shabbos. Shocking. I asked him, do you daven? No. Do you put filling on? No. When's the last time you were in shul? I walked in for Kal Nidre for five minutes. This is what happens when kids are thrown out of school. And they don't take an interest in them. So let's get back to our story with Rabbi Wallerstein. So Rabbi Wallerstein is dancing with him, and he says to him, I feel really bad for what was done to you. So he says, Rabbi, I'm a practicing Buddhist today. I went to the Himalayas, and I met my girlfriend. I want you to do Sitaha. So they're chatting away. So Wallerstein, the smart guy that he is, he says, you know what? This is totally fascinating. You know, I give a class every Tuesday night. I want you to come and lecture us. Tell us about the greatness of Buddhism. That's a huge chance to take. Anyway, he comes, Howie shows up the next Tuesday, and he is fascinated, he's trying to give 
the oilam there, the, 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 the audience, a couple of interesting points on Buddhism and why it's such a, you know, a great religion. Whereupon Rav Wallace, the intelligent guy that he is, he goes, you know, if Buddha is such a great God, why is he so overweight? You'd think he'd be able to lose weight, no? Couldn't answer him. He goes, you know what, I want to invite you back next, next week. The boy was fascinated and started taking interest in Judaism. To the point, after seven or eight weeks, Rav Wallstein says to him, you know what, I'm taking off a week. And I want to personally escort you to Israel, where I want to set you up in the yeshiva, where you belong. And he did. He showed an interest in him. And he went to Israel, and he set him up in the yeshiva. And then time to time, he'd call Rabbi Wallerstein, and he'd tell him, thank God it's going well. Three months into his sojourn in Israel, he says, Rabbi, he calls him up, he goes, I'd like to, for your help to get me a shidduch. So Rabbi Wallerstein says, you know what? How can I help you? Get me an American girl, I'll come back. He says, you know what? You're doing great in Israel. Better for you to stay there. But I have tattoos all over my body. No one be interested in me. Don't worry about it. If you're doing well there, God will figure it out. You have Imuna, Hashem runs the world. Two months go by, and Rabbi Wallerstein gets a phone call from Howie. Rabbi Wallerstein, he tells him, my Rebbe set me up with the girl, and it's going well. But I'm afraid to tell her about my past and show her my body. You know, on 85, 90 degree days, I go out in turtlenecks. I'm afraid for her to see. He says, don't worry. If she's meant, give me a second. Amen. If it's meant, it'll work out. Okay. Comes the fateful day. And uh, he takes her out. And they go out and they're in a park in Tel Aviv. And he says to her, I have to tell you something. And he told her about his past and how he has tattoos. And he starts to show her the tattoos that he has. And she says to him something amazing. She says, there's only one thing that I see. One tattoo. That you're a great guy. That's the only tattoo that I see. Whereupon he says to her, will you marry me? And long story short, they get married. According to Rabbi Wallerstein, and I would believe him today, that young man and his wife are sitting in, in, in he lives in B'nai Brak, and he sits in Kolel, and he has four children. This week's parsha was all about the Yamsuf. Our sages tell us that getting your shidduch is like splitting the sea, but if you believe in miracles, they can happen. And they can happen. So how about I share a little story with you. I went on vacation with my wife, to Miami last week. Okay, so we went to Tapas, which is in Surfside. Many of you know it, 26. Very good, nice restaurant there, right in the corner of 95th and Harding, in Surfside. Anyway, so <clears throat> just want to tell you, going there, we took an Uber. Then I just you need to understand the mechanics of what happened that night. Then we went to dinner. Then we decided to go to Publix across the street to get some stuff for the room. Then another Uber back. Why do I have to tell you that? Because when we got home, my wife notices that when I had my last son 13 years ago, I had given her two sets of diamond bangles, and one was missing. And she says, oh my gosh, something I must have lost it. It happens to be that it was the night of the yard site of the Baba Sali. So when we were on, we were by the poolside in the Grand Beach Resort in Miami Beach. We happened to have played a WhatsApp for me from a rabbi in Israel, who said, tonight is the yard site of the Baba Sali. And it happens to be that it's a great idea to light a candle. And he, the Baba Sali, would also light a candle from one of the great students of the Baal Shem Tov called Rav Moshe Lieb of Sasov. So he said, tonight you should light two candles, one for the Baba Sali and one for Rav Moshe Lieb of Sasov. So he says, I said, you know what, let's go do that. We have time. We went to Publix. We, we asked the guy, do you have Jewish candles? He says, sure, go to a certain aisle. And we lit them. And we forgot about it. You know, what are the chances? You're in a city like Miami. This is going to happen. So the very next night, we decide to go to Sinceta across the street. We're in the mood for pizza. All right. She's feeling so bad. You know, we went on vacation. It's hard for us to get away. I have a lot of responsibilities in the dating world. And she felt bad. You know, she lost, uh, each one was worth about $2,500. Anyway, it is what it is. We had dinner, we decided, you know what, are you in the mood for ice cream? We did the same thing the night before. 
So we stopped by the restaurant and we asked them if anyone saw a piece of jewelry. No, not at all. We went to the uh, ice cream store and we were enjoying our ice cream. And I said, hey, ask her. So she says, you know, you were the same girl at the counter yesterday. Any possibility you saw a piece of jewelry? Hold on one second. And my wife's in shock. I got to show you the picture. Yes, I did. There's my wife holding the second bangle. Do you believe that? Anybody could have taken this. Serendipity ice cream store last week. That's, if you believe in miracles, anything can happen. She came out. Anybody could have stolen it. It could have been in any of the Ubers we took. Anywhere. But guess what happened? Someone found it on the street and decided to go into that ice cream store and give it to the lady behind the counter who had met us the night before. (laughs) It was an absolute shock. So I'm going to tell you what. If you believe in miracles and you work towards that goal, you can make it happen. So let me go into tonight's presentation. I'll read you a little poem. But this is the crux of the point that I want to make tonight. Her nose is too long, her lips are too wide. I couldn't possibly take her for a bride. She jabbers out questions, she laughs too loud. She's not that smart, she blends in with the crowd. What's that that you say? I should give her a chance. Okay, if you say so, I won't trust my first glance. Well, what do you know? Boy, am I ever surprised she has so many pluses that were somehow disguised. Her laugh sounds so charming, her questions so dear, her brightness was hidden, her modesty was so sincere. I was so arrogant with my, all my endless demands. Now I'm humbled to see the work of Hashem's hands. I'll always be grateful for such a wonderful wife whose menschlichkeit has enriched the days of my life. Now I'm a new dad and I have to disclose my precious baby has a gorgeous long nose. What's the point? I sit day and night with people who present me with lists of endless demands, endless desires, endless requests. So many that are so unattainable that their years go by and go by as the years of singlehood go by. If they would just trim the list and accept people for who they are and limit your, 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 your list to what's really important, which is midos, which is values, we can perhaps see a lot of people come off the fence and get married. Marriage can either be the source of life's greatest joys and nachas or the root of much misery, even tragedy. There's a formula that can be stated in five words that's the key to a great marriage. Don't cause pain, give pleasure. Sumera va'asetov. That's what I want to tell you. Stay away from good, but do, stay away from evil, but do good. Don't give pain, give pleasure. Focus in your life now. What can I do when I'm dating to be the person that gives others pleasure? So we need a strategy. Perhaps, I can give you some quotes and then we'll go into some of what I think are great ideas for my toolbox. Life has no remote. We have to get up and change it ourselves. We got to do something about it. I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. It's now time to change the things I cannot accept. So tonight I'll give you some of those ideas. You're not born a winner. You're not born a loser. You're born a chooser. So we have to choose properly. One of the things I need to start with tonight is determination. To be determined. If you're interested in getting married, or it is getting a better job, or learning a new skill, there's a concept in Torah that says, And the way you're led is the way you're going to go. If that's what you want, and it's important to you, Hashem will help you. He'll direct you. So do whatever has to get done. Tonight I'm going to give you some of those skill building areas. What can I do in my determination to meet my soulmate? Let's start with some physical things. Examine yourself physically. Are you the best that you can be? Can you improve your appearance? How's your attitude? Warmth appeals to people. Do you smile? Do you read books that make you happy? Do you work on your simcha? And how's your appearance? Remember, we never get a second chance to make a great first impression. There's a great dating instructor, right? He writes the following. He went on a 
called to raise funds for a book that he was writing. And one of the people that he was calling on was a pretty well-to-do guy in Wall Street. So he was waiting in the waiting room. When he finally got his turn with the man, he says, you know what? The secretary was amazing. Everything that I asked for, she took care of me. She was always worrying about me, you know, looking over me. Can I get you coffee? Is everything okay? Is the temperature fine in the waiting room? So he says to him, that's our designated individual for first impressions. We make sure that your first impression is important. And that's what I want to tell you, everyone. Make sure that the first impression that you make when you go on a date is a great impression. Now, everyone is harping about attraction. Don't fool yourself. Yes, you don't need a great-looking spouse, but you need to be attracted to that spouse. We do have to acknowledge that. But let's not get obsessive with it. Let's not realize that that's the only thing. Remember, one of the people who wrote the Shmuz, his name is Rabbi Schaefer, he writes, physical attraction was created by Hashem as the match. It only lasts a few seconds. That's to get your attention. But it's character that's going to determine if you're going to be Matzliach in that relationship. It's character that you need to be concerned with. Not to be focusing solely on physical attraction. And there, I want to focus on something. And that is this. One of the mistakes that many of us are making is that we're not opening up our hearts to people when we date. I remember sitting with a girl in the fall who had gone out with someone 36 times. And she couldn't tell me anything about the guy that was important. So I said to her, you went out for five months, what did you talk about? (laughs) And when we did a top 10 list, which is what I really call for, that's my prescription for anyone when they date, to sit down with someone like myself, whatever, and create that and draft that top 10 list of needs, he didn't meet any of them. And she couldn't tell me anything. So what did you talk about? Just silly things. But in order to be able to fundamentally succeed at dating, this is Billy Vine, it's not even Torah. This is something fascinating that I read in John Gray last week, who, who wrote the famous book, Men Are From Venus and Women Are From Mars. That if you don't open your heart, and you don't get it, delve into more deeper stuff, you're not going to connect. He wrote something fascinating. Years ago, People got married for security. That's not the case anymore. Most women work today. So they don't need that security anymore. They need that individual who talks to them emotionally. That's very important. And so, if we're not going to open up our hearts to each other, and let that person in and expose our vulnerability, we can't build that relationship. Most of the time, when I hear the line, I'm not feeling it, it's because people are afraid to share That's the problem. If they would open up and share, they can create what's called emotional intimacy, which is so necessary for dating today. But people don't do it. And when they don't do it, they don't experience success at dating. And so they leave. And they leave early. They they exit prematurely. I see this a lot. It's so important to open our hearts today. We need to open our hearts. That's very important. And how do we build emotional intimacy? So I'm going to tell you some things. Vary what you do on a date. If every date's going to be the same exact style dating, out to dinner, out to dinner, out to dinner, it's not a good idea. You've got to vary what you do on the dates. Move things around. So that if sometimes one of the individuals is not opening up, when you move things around, one night it's a Dave and Buster's, another time it's a walk underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, sometimes it's a paint night, another time it's board game night, whatever it is, you'll see different facets of the individual, and as a result, if that individual is holding back, something may trigger that individual to finally open up. That's important. Two, you need to learn how to have fun. It's not just about an FBI interrogation. You understand? You need to learn how to have fun. You can ask your questions in a subtle fashion. That's one of the things I do a lot. I train people how to talk on dates. How to get the information that you need. What you do is, you open up, you talk about a subject that's interesting to you, and then lobby to the other person. Whatever it is that you say, say you're talking about children, and tell them about your nephews and nieces. Say you're talking about education, tell them about the schools they went to. What's your opinion? 
Or it's travel. So tell them about a recent trip that you took. Where have you gone lately? That's the kind of thing. Don't be afraid to open up to people. Make each day purposeful. Ask yourself, what do I not know about him or her that I've not found out about it? And tonight, perhaps, I'm going to delve into that subject. Try to get something out of the date that's concrete. One of the things I tell my students and my clients is the following. After every date, I want you to do the following for me. Write down when, what you experienced tonight that you enjoyed. Write down what you experienced that you found questionable. And then write down for me what you experienced that you did not like. And then run it by me. Let's see if it's something that's really an issue or not. Oftentimes, it's good to have it, the opportunity to bounce it off someone because you on your own unilaterally may exit the relationship over a stupid thing. And it's not, it, it may be meaningless. Talk on the phone on days that you're not dating. I've had several situations recently where from girls, I don't know why they did this, two times after six or seven dates, refused to give their phone number. I knew I wanted to kill them. I said, what are you, crazy? Give the phone number. No, I wasn't ready. You know, that's the biggest insult to the guy. He wants to take it to the next level. So I said, you know, so it's important that when it's the right time in certain sectors to give the phone number or in other sectors that date directly, it's fine too, that you need to be able to speak to each other on the phone. Let's not overdo it in texting. Because texting can, you can run away with, and it's not a good idea. Especially since if you go out on a date, don't text right away. It should be like wine. Let it sit for a while. Ask yourself, what did I think about him or her? And then tomorrow, think it through a little bit. Immediate gratification, immediate requirements, as a result, can sometimes misdirect the relationship. So give it some time. But learn how to talk on the phone to see what life will be like potentially as a husband and a wife. And do things that will stimulate thoughtfulness and kindness and concern. It could be as simple as buying a chocolate bar, because you know she likes chocolate. Or buy him, or make cookies for him, whatever it may be. Extend yourself, so that they see that you're invested into the relationship. Conversation topics on a date. That itself can take a whole lecture. Learn how to categorize your conversation Areas. For example, family. Ask the questions about the parents, about your siblings, who you're close to, who you like. Do you have nephews and nieces? What are your friends like? What do you look for in a friend? Camps. For example, if you went to camp, career goals. Why did you choose why you're in? Do you enjoy it? Do you think you'll have the ability, if it's a girl, that you'll be able to have the time, if it's a very intense career, to be able to have a family and to be able to make time for it? Do you enjoy where you live? What are your interests like? What do you like to do on your time off? Who inspires you? Do you like to travel? What are your feelings about Israel? What are your feelings about, if you're into politics, some of us stay away from that. You know, which rabbi do you really enjoy listening to? Who are your role models in life? What, what, what need or quality of character are you working on? This is digging. I'm not necessarily telling you you should do this on the first date, but this is what gets it going. This is the grease. This is the DW40. Very important. Again, when we create a top 10 list, we have a GPS of where we're going and what we need in life. And without that GPS, we sometimes can waste years dating unnecessarily. Now what you need to do is to create a top 10 list of qualities of character. Tall, dark, and handsome is not what I want to see on a top 10 list. I want to see kind, considerate, generous, no anger issues, flexible. If it's a case of a guy, she's looking for a guy, has a mentor or a rabbi, someone to talk to. i give you an example. I was dealing with a girl who... Um, got married recently in the five towns, and quickly, the boy lost his bearings. He got a job, 
he was laid off. He went from three hours of where he was used to learning in the yeshiva in Israel. He came back to America where he was doing two, then it went down to one, then it went down to 15 minutes, then no shachris. He is escalating fast. So she came to me six months into the marriage. It looks like it's hopeless. I said, it is not hopeless. Does he have a rabbi? Sure he does. He's in the five towns. So I pleaded with her, go visit him tomorrow. Tell him what's going on. He should help this situation. Thank God she listened to me. She went to the rabbi. He got in touch with him. They spoke it out. He gave him the confidence building that he needed. And today they're on the right footing. So when you have a mentor in the system, that individual can play a critical role in salvaging the marriage or even maintaining a dating situation that sometimes on its own will fall apart. Some of the things that I want to see, example, more things on like more uh, more um, examples of things on the top ten list: caring, gentle, communicative, very important. Simchas as we say in French, joie de vivre, a zest for life. The last thing I would want as in a partner in life is someone who's like depressed. Forget it. That's like a sentence of death. You need someone who's optimistic. Look for an individual who can bounce back from a challenge in life, who gets up and dusts himself, her herself off, and moves forward. That's very important. Happy-go-lucky, hardworking, helpful. Some of the things that you should be looking for. Enthusiasm is another critical area. Very important. Maybe a summary that I could share with you. Ten ways to date the wrong person. Number one, you date the wrong person because you expect that person to change after you're married. Huge mistake. Forget it. The classic mistake. Never marry potential. If you can't be happy with the individual that the way they are right there and then, don't get married. As many psychologists put it, you can actually expect the person to change after marriage for the worse. So when it comes to his spirituality or her spirituality or their character or their personal hygiene or communication skills or habits, make sure you can live with them the way they are now. What you see is what you get. Number two, you date the wrong person because you focus more on chemistry than on character. There, let me make a statement. Physical attraction ignites the fire. Good character is what keeps it burning. Beware of I'm in love syndrome. I'm in love really means I'm in lust, which will last 60 to 90 days. If you need any kind of testimony to that, just go to your nearest supermarket and look at the checkout counter of the latest casualty in Hollywood. <laughs> 60 or 90 day marriages of Mr. Gorge, Mr. Handsome and Miss Gorgeous. Here are four quality traits that you need, definitely need to check into. Humility. Does this person believe that doing the right thing is more important than personal comfort? Another, what was Moshe Rabbeinu singled out for? He was a brilliant scholar. He was wealthy. No. The man Moses was the most humble of any person on the face of the earth. The Torah singles out the greatest quality of his character was humility. So I'm looking for someone who's humble. Not living for himself or herself, not thinking they're way above everyone else. You know, very interesting story. Chaim Kenievsky was the undisputed Godel of the generation. His father was just as great. His name was the Stipler Gaon. He was brother-in-law to the Chazonish. We're talking about the giants of the era. Right? And he writes in his memoirs that many people, this is going back 40 years ago, used to come and visit him Single people who were older and up there already. And they would cry and plead to the rabbi, knowing that he had Ruach HaKodesh, that he had divine inspiration. People like this, of this caliber, have divine inspiration. I'll just give you a small example. I was in Israel last year for my son's bar mitzvah. My mechutin told me, do me a favor, I have $600 that I saved up, and he gave me six $100 bills. Maybe you'll get into Rabbi Chaim Kenievsky, and you'll give him this, that he should disperse it to some poor scholars. I was in Jerusalem that day that we were traveling. I didn't get a chance to go to the ATM machine. So I decided, you know what, I'll use the $600. I have my checkbook with me. I'll just write Rab Chaim a check for the 600 which is exactly what I did. Later that afternoon, my cousin met me in Bnei Brak. He's pretty, you know, 
connected. He says, I got you into Rab Chaim. Let's go say hello. So we get there. I ask him for a bracha for myself and my son, who's the bar mitzvah boy. I said, oh, by the way, here's $600. It has my name on it. Jack Cohen checkbook. On the check. I give it to him. He says, this is not your money. Who gave you this money? This is the power of a tzaddik. I didn't say a word to him. He says, this is not your money. Whose money is this? I told him, it was my mechotin. I said, they, they could see things. So anyway, the father says in his memoirs, people came to me crying. He says, the matam, their, 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 their tears on their cheeks. Rabbi, where's my besheret? Where's my soulmate? And he looks at him or her, you know, people older on in years, high 30s, 40s, whatever it may be. And he looks at them and see you, you missed the boat. She's married already. She has three kids, four kids. He's married already. He has four kids, five kids. Why would it happen, Rabbi? Because you thought you were Mr. It. And you thought you were Miss It. No one was good enough for you. Because you were living in fantasy land. Olama Dimion. You thought you had to have Mr. Mr. Meanwhile, they couldn't wait for you. The one that was intended for you was long gone. It's not over yet. By all means, it's not over yet. But the person that was enti- that was meant for you, you could have had easily. When a bot call, when the heavenly voice announces 40 days before our conception that we're born, that XYZ goes to ABC, what they're saying is, it's not a guarantee you'll get that person. You could screw it up by misusing your free choice. What they're t- trying to tell you is that it'll be easier to achieve. It'll be easiest to achieve if you're on the lookout and your radars are on. So, look for humility. Kindness. Does the person that you're dating enjoy giving pleasure to other people? One of the key things that I told you, the five-point formula, don't give pain, give pleasure. Look for individuals that enjoy helping others. Does the person that you're dating treat people nicely, even though they don't have to be nice to that person? How do they act to a beggar on the street? Ugh, get away from me. Or, I'm sorry, I don't have change right now. That says a lot to me. Responsibility. Can I depend on the person to be responsible? I have a wonderful woman who comes to my classes, who started about four years ago, who married someone who is the epitome of not being responsible. He basically sat in bed and didn't get out of bed before 1 p.m. Actually, I've had five or six girls with this scenario. Yeah, And getting her get took us two and a half years. Didn't get out of bed. Not responsible. Thank God she was in an accident which, in which the automotive insurer paid out a seven-figure whatever, and, they look, and she lives off of that, but the guy didn't work a bit, a stitch. So, And similar with the girl. I have the same thing with a guy that helps me a lot and does me a lot of favors in terms of helping me with my shurim and stuff like that. She's on her cell phone on, on the internet till four o'clock in the morning. He gets up, Dishes stacked all the way up in the, almost to the ceiling. What's going on? Every night, the guy, he's the nicest guy in the world. No havamina of a dinner. No supper at all. The kid's sitting home because she refuses to send him to play group because she's afraid to vaccinate. A real cuckoo head. In every which way. Everyone has told him divorce her. Understand? So it could be both sides. Look for someone who's responsible. Ask yourself... Do I want to have children with this person? Would I like my children to turn out like him or her? And that's one of the greatest things, by the way, we have to think about as we get older. What can I do to shorten my list? Because the key thing is, I need to leave a legacy behind in this world. So I don't get the most perfect individual. But if they're nice to me and kind to me, maybe I can build a family. Do you know, in this past 10 days, I have sent three people to an organization to determine fertility ability. Because they want to get married and they're in their mid-40s or 50s and I said, and the girls are, you know, the guys are worrying, can you have children? So the faster, I'm not telling you to go into some, you know, gunshot wedding, but one of the most important reasons that we're, we're, we want to get married is to leave a legacy behind. And that's important. I just got a phone call from a guy from California who came into date into Crown Heights Friday afternoon. Same story. Call her. Ask her if she can have children. And I have to get on the phone call and make these very uncomfortable conversations. Did you freeze your eggs? Did you do that? This is one of the reasons we have to get going. Number three, really geared towards the guy. You pick the wrong person because the man doesn't understand what a woman needs most. 
Women and women, men and women rather, have unique emotional needs. Unfortunately, more often than not, it's the man who just doesn't get it. Jewish tradition places the onus on the man to understand the emotional needs of a woman and to satisfy them. I was once in front of the Walgreens buyer. I was trained as an orthopedic surgeon. How did I get into this work, really, as a volunteer? One of the things that I love to do is to teach Torah half a day, and then I would work as a, as a surgeon in the afternoon. The guys that I used to teach were guys coming out of college who were ready to get married, or finishing yeshiva in Israel. It happens to be that I had, I had five or six patents. Most you've seen my patents, right? Anyway, and I wanted to show one of my patents to the Walgreens buyer. So he says to me, I'm sitting in front of this Irish guy, six foot three from Chicago, where Walgreens has its parent organization, and his two non, non-Jewish secretaries to the right and two to the left. You know, this is an entire waspy situation. So anyway, he asks me a question. Where are you in the morning? I can never find you. I can only find you, Dr. Jack, after one o'clock. So I told him, I teach in a Jewish, you know, higher education yeshiva. I explained to him what it is. And I told him, he says to me, what do you, who do you teach? I says, young men. So tell me, you have less than 60 seconds left in the meeting. Give me your elevator pitch. What do you teach them? So I said, Hashem, now I need you now. So I thought of two words, and this is apropos that I want to teach. But I think it crosses over to men, to women, women to men. I said, Rob, I teach my students that they should treat their spouse as makom rishon. First place. If the individual that you're dating feels that your first place, you're going to have a great marriage. Rav Shalom Arush tells an incredible story. He was one of my rebbies. He wrote the Garden of Imunah, the Garden of Peace, Women's Wisdom, the Garden of, uh, of uh, Wealth, and on and on, the Garden of Gratitude. A woman came to him with a huge list of charge, a charge sheet against her husband. And the husband was there as well. Okay, he tells her, read your list. Number one, every Sunday night I want to go to a class. He knows the class starts 8 o'clock, and every Sunday night he shows up at 9.30. Every Sunday night I miss the class. He goes, I get it. You don't have to tell me the rest. So he looks at him and he says, I'm sure you're a great guy. You don't mean harm. You don't look like you're inciting her. You're not doing it like as a Dafka thing. Here's the reason why you have problems. Because you go to shul, you sit in the, in, in the lobby, you chat it out with your friends, then you answer your WhatsApps, then you look at your emails. By the time it's over and done, it's already an hour and a half later, and then you roll in home. You know why? Because your wife is at the bottom of your sulam. Your wife is at the bottom of your ladder. If you upgraded her to the top of your ladder, guarantee, I guarantee you, you have no problems with panasa, and, and everything in your life will go well. Because the Gemara tells us, take care of the wife, make her happy, panasa will go just fine. So, and obviously it goes the other direction too. We have to make each other first place. Another reason that we have problems, you choose to date the wrong person because you don't share common life goals. How often do I hear this? We got divorced because we grew apart. Well, did you date? Did you ask questions about what were you interested in? No, we really didn't delve into any of that. Well, how could you not? You've got to do substantial dating to determine if you have common goals and common interests when you date. Make sure you share deep levels of connection when you're dating. After marriage, the two of you will either grow together or grow apart. To avoid growing apart, you have to know what you live for. What are your goals? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? And share them with the person that you're dating while you're single. Because the soulmate is your goalmate. That's important. Number five, you date the wrong person, unfortunately, because you get intimately involved too quickly. And that's a problem. Because then you don't get to know each other. And it throws everything helter-skelter. Did you notice that the first time that Adam Rishon had a child, the Torah doesn't tell us in Hebrew, that he laid with her. It says he got to know her. Adam got to know his wife. Very important message the Torah is teaching us here. The fundamental behind a great relationship and a great marriage is you got to talk to each other. There has to be communication. Adam got to know her. He got to know what she's about. She got to know him. It's not necessary to take a test drive in order to find out if you're physically compatible. If you do your homework and make sure you're intellectually and emotionally compatible, you don't have to worry about it. Of all the studies done on divorce, the intimate arena is never cited as the main reason why people divorce. So you don't have to worry about it. 
Number six, you date the wrong person because you don't have a deep emotional connection with that individual. We've spoken about that before. How important it is to have a deep emotional connection. You pick the wrong person because you don't feel safe with that individual. That's scary. If you don't think that you can feel that there's a safety problem there, you have to really ask yourself a question, should I be getting out of this relationship? Number eight, you date the wrong person because you don't put everything on the table. That's very important. Anything that bothers you in your dating relationship must be brought for discussion while you're dating. Bringing up the uncomfortable stuff is the only way to evaluate how well the two of you will communicate, negotiate, and work together. If you cannot do it successfully while you're dating, you're surely not going to be able to do it when you're married. Bringing up the uncomfortable stuff while you're dating is critical. Never be afraid to let the person know what bothers you. This is a way to determine if we can make this happen now and we can figure things out now when we're dating, that we know that we can make it work when we're married. Next, you pick the wrong person because you use the relationship to escape from personal problems and unhappiness. People run into a marriage thinking that I can finally get out of the house. I can finally move on to the next chapter of my life where they have baggage on the table. And the answer to that is if you're not happy with yourself and your life now, take responsibility and fix it while you're single. You will feel better and you can guarantee that you'll be able to have a lasting relationship. Because if you're unhappy and single, you will be unhappy and married. Marriage will not fix your problems. If anything, marriage will only make them worse. You pick the wrong person lastly because that person is involved in a triangle. What does that mean? To be triangulated means that you're not the only thing in their life. That that person has something else that, in, that is important to them. An addiction, work, how many people are addicted to work, or money, or sports, or gambling, or their parents. One of the most shocking stories I ever heard was a Beis Yaakov, classic Beis Yaakov girl who shows up on my doorstep this past summer, who tells me that her marriage lasted but three weeks. What happened? The night after the wedding, we went to the hotel. He was on the phone with his mother for two and a half hours from the hotel room. Something was really wrong there. And I guess in her rush to get married, she didn't really check into it very much. And uh, that, that marriage basically fell apart really quickly. Okay. So, perhaps I can share with you seven things to let go of in dating. Again, I want to hop on these points. Let go of the idea that you're going to find 100% of what you're looking for. Make a list of top 10, and all you need is 5 out of 10, including physical attraction. Like again, they don't have to be a model, they be, you need to be attracted to them. Two, let go of some hours at work or whatever that's keeping you busy. You know, I have people who tell me, I don't take calls after 9 p.m. I said, what? For dating? Be available. <laughs> Make any sense? Number three, let go of thinking that you're in this alone. Years go by before people will talk to anyone, like myself or any other mentors. Get help. Four, let go of being so hard on yourself. Don't blame yourself for not getting engaged or getting married. Right? You know who you are, you know what you want to be. Feel comfortable with yourself. Five, let go of ingratitude. Stop complaining. It's not going for me. It's not right for me. Please don't do that. It's so important. There's a concept called Mida Kineged Mida, a turn for a turn. If you're going to focus on positive and be grateful to Hashem, and I tell everyone, please, to read the, the, the gratitude card, which I do myself for the last, almost every day for the last 18 years. If you need a copy of it, see me. I'll send one to you. Then God's going to treat you the same way. Thank you for my eyes and my ears and my job and my vacation and my parents and my apartment. Then God says, you're grateful? I'll give you more to be grateful for. But if it's going to be ingratitude and complaining, then He's going to dish it out back, dish it out back to you the way you, you dish it out. Be careful. Ingratitude, complaining, will only exacerbate your woes, not make them better. Very important. Including saying thank you for whatever situation you're in that day. I practice it all the time. I showed up here with my trays of sushi. 
Right? I said, Yaakov, I'll be back. I'm going to start looking for parking. I wasn't even interested in a spot on the street. I just wanted a, a parking lot to take me. Apparently, there's some theaters in the area. And everyone's full. So I kept saying, thank you Hashem, that I can't find a spot. I take the negative, and I'm grateful for it. Why is that important? Emuna means, whatever God does is good. So I'm thankful for the neg- sort of negative. Right there, a spot opens up, right in front of the parking lot. Freebie, on the house. <laughs> Every It almost works all the time. When you take a negative scenario, and you say thank you for it, God says, you got the message, that I'm behind everything, and it works. So I tell every single, say every day, thank you that I'm a single. It's the best thing for me. And at the end, just put in a small little request. Please, Hashem, find me, my soulmate, as a request of mercy, and because I, you owe me nothing. So watch out for that. Now, let go of your need for something to happen immediately. If I tell you this story, you won't believe it. A lady comes to my class last year and says to me, this is two or three weeks before Lak Balmer, Rabbi, I booked the hall, I booked the date, I paid the caterer for the wedding. Yeah, who are you getting married to? I haven't met him yet. <laughs> what? I said, I hate, what? I hate to tell you, what if you know, it doesn't happen in the next three weeks? So, no, don't, put, don't put timetables on God. Don't put timetables on yourself. You can, you can be in for a rude awakening. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't put on tables. Ask Hashem to lead me to the person that's right for me. And don't ask Hashem specifically for that individual. Don't. Just take me and open my eyes to the person that's right for me and give me the message and let me know that it's right for me. And I'll know. I'll give you a beautiful story. A Hasidish guy, a Belzer guy, like I said, you know, they get married young, lands in Ben-Gurion Airport in the middle of the winter and he gets into the taxi and he says to him I'm just trying to remember the story uh, take me to Avuka so the cab driver says you know I know this country back and forth as most Israeli cab drivers do I don't know what Avuka is so he says why are you here and he explains to him you don't understand I'm a Hasidish guy in my community all my friends get married when they're 19. I'm 27 years old. They consider me like I'm almost dead. So the Belzer Rebbe from I, my, Hasid, my, Hasidus, my Hasidic court came to America. I had a personal engagement with him. And he said to me, what's going on? He said, I didn't get married. So he says, go to, he says, go to Avuka. So the cab driver hopped. He goes, you don't want Avuka. You mean Amuka, which many people go to in the north. It happens to be the burial place for a very big rabbi called Yavrino Tabben Oziel. Many single people go there. So they travel in the middle of the night and they get there. It's, it's raining. And they, he, the Hasidish guy, goes down to the burial area, the kever, and he's davening. After an hour, the cab driver wants to know what's going on. He sees he's almost done. He's, the guy's crying tears because he's single. Anyway, he decides to pick up the film, the cab driver, and read with him. And he goes, okay, can we take you now back to the hotel? I'm exhausted. I'm going to go back to the hotel. No, 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 no. Now we got to go to the burial plot of the rabbi with the previous rabbi. He goes, if that was the case, and he was buried in Jerusalem... Why did you make me go north first and then go back to, to your Jerusalem? It would have made much more sense to go the other direction. No, the rabbi said we have to do it this way. So, fine. They get there like 5 in the morning. The wind now is picked up. And you know what they do? They take a piece of paper and they write a kivitel and they stick it in the burial area, you know, where the, where the rabbi is buried. Which is exactly what he did. And he then comes back to the taxi who's waiting for him in the parking lot of the cemetery. And his hat was plastered with all these white pieces of, uh, uh, of paper from other people's requests. As he got ready to open the door to the taxi, a huge gust of wind comes and blows the guy's hat off of his head. And it was like a chassidish hat that was round. And this thing starts a journey through burial plots. And now this guy and the taxi driver are hustling after the, the hat. And they finally catch up with the hat, they grab the hat, and they walk back to the taxi, to the, to the cab, and the cab driver gets into the front, he's in the back, when they notice from all the pieces of paper, there was one left behind. So he's looking, the cab driver is looking at him, he goes, 
hmm, what's that piece of paper about? He goes, I don't know, it's someone's private request. I can't look at it. He goes, guess what? You didn't send me on this wild goose chase for nothing. I'm not moving this cab unless you look at that piece of paper. And there's like a standoff going on. I can't open up someone's private Well, I'm not budging. So he says, okay. And this guy happened to be from Brooklyn, New York. He pulls out the paper and he starts reading in Yiddish. My name is Rachel Moskowitz. I'm 24 years old. Again, an older age person. And I, I'm single. I'm asking the Rebbe to please ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ask Hashem to grant me my soulmate. Whereupon our Moroccan cab taxi driver whips out his cell phone and he goes, here, call her. He goes, we don't do that. I can't call someone that I don't know. And we don't call girls in my community. Well, I don't care. Call someone who knows her. You guys all know each other. Like that. So, so guess what? He calls his father up and they have, a, they have like a white pages for their community. They get the phone number of the home where she lives. And then he gets up the courage to call, and he calls, and the father of the girl answers the phone. And now he tells him the crazy story of how it was his daughter's request that was plastered on his hat. And he tells him what happened, and it can't be coincidental. And he's now looking more comfortable. After a few moments of this discussion, he hands him back the taxi driver, the cab, and he, uh, his cell phone, and he says, okay. He goes, I'm sure you're exhausted now. What hotel are you staying at? Oh, oh no, no hotel. Where should I take you? Back to Ben Gurion Airport. Why? I have a date tomorrow night. He goes, thanks to you. And he drives, drops him off at Ben Gurion. The guy says, what's the fare? He goes, it's $200. He gives him another $400. He goes, he's a shidduch gelt. You never know. Four months later, an invitation arrives to our Moroccan taxi driver. They got married. You never know. Hmm? It's amazing. So, Hashem has His timetable and He has His agents that make it happen. Again, number seven, and I'll close with this. Let go of thinking dating should be a quick, smooth process with no bumps along the way. There's going to be struggles. That for sure. Sometimes it is, but don't expect that it's smooth sailing all the way. And if there's a problem, that means it's not meant. Ridiculous. Just have someone to talk to. Relationships require time and effort. There's no magic click of the button that will bring instantaneous results. The Gemara says, the fum tzare agra. According to the effort is the reward. Oftentimes I see this, that as people get older in dating, they try to cut shortcuts. And it doesn't work. They stop asking the right questions. There's a facilitation to dating. There's a mechanics to it. They stop asking the questions. They don't ask the necessary questions because they're burnt out. They're not in the mood. It only leads to problems and pain later on. You have to have your mechanism of doing it. Which means it's like a wide pyramid and it narrows as you get to know each other more and more. But be rest assured, nothing is perfect in life. But like they say, maybe good enough is good enough. And so all I want to do is I want to wish everyone here that I should be able to have the pleasure to stand at their weddings as soon as possible. And we should only see good news from everyone. If anyone has any questions, please see me after. The question, you know, the, the, the floor is open to anything. And thank you for coming. Enjoy the evening. Have a great night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.